Is the People's Republic of China truly focused on sophisticated strategies for altering Canadian elections? Has Canada itself gone beyond China in interfering in the democracies of other countries? Are there grounds for being suspicious of the role played by the Canadian Security Intelligence Service as the prime source of information about covert Chinese activities? Does the fact that they have completely mesmerized all political parties and all media with a dominant doctrine, an indication that CSIS has actually captured the government? This week on the Global Research News Hour, during a week in which our Canadian House of Commons is spellbound with what has become a major controversy around foreign power interference in Canadian elections and the sudden lack of national trust in our current special rapporteur on the matter, David Johnston, we will be investigating the aspects of the discussion that are seldom, if ever, explored on the mainstream public airwaves. In our first half hour, we conduct a mo an interview with Montreal-based activist and foreign policy critic Eve Engler on how he evaluates the prospects of Chinese meddling in Canadian politics, how Canada approaches the politics of certain other countries, and the specter of certain other countries influencing Canadian democracy more than China. This is followed by a feature interview with investigative journalist Aidan Jonah of the Canadian Files about his recent article, Government by CSIS. On this week's program, Chinagate, the resurrection of Joseph McCarthy in Canada. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of June 9th, 2023. The program is funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download site globalresearch.ca We acknowledge this program was produced on the traditional territory of the Shinabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. Our goal is to rise above the settler injustices that imprinted this nation at the expense of the land, water, and resources taken by broken promises and even force from indigenous people Land acknowledgement and reparations is only a first step in re-establishing a respectful partnership going into the future. Now it's time for News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. These vax concoctions are genius, evil genius, but genius nonetheless, as they change the very essence about humanity, altering the human to merge it with the machine. Karen Kingston reveals that all COVID injections approved by WHO had tracking and tracing capabilities inside the human being. Dr. Karen Kingston and Dr. Anna Mehalche also joined Maria Z 
to expose their correlating findings that confirm the hypothesis regarding the transhumanist agenda. Human beings are being replaced with synthetic biology, the strange clots being found inside people causing them to die suddenly is hydrogel, or programmable matter, and AI may be far more advanced than we could have imagined, already in the process of exterminating humanity. Their interview with Maria Z, Z Media, is complementary to Final Days. That comes from the article, Directed Evolution in Lockstep Towards the Abyss, by Peter Koenig, posted June 8th. So what was a response to what? Obviously, the Russians responsively engaged in a war not so much against Ukraine, rather in confrontation with all of the NATO countries. NATO instigated this war between Russia and Ukraine by expanding eastward. Russia, for many years, protested and warned against this aggressive activity, but to no avail. Finally, in 2022, this country took responsive action. That comes from the article, Media Hypocrisy and History Regarding NATO Expansion, by Dr. Walter Block, posted June 8th, originally published on the Libertarian Institute. Atrocities and the disinformation surrounding them is the subject of an important book by A.B. Abrams, Atrocity, Fabrication, and Its Consequences, How Fake News Shapes World Order, from Clarity Press, 2023. It is an important book because it delivers an incisive account on how hegemony is systematically conducted by the U.S. Empire. It cuts through the disinformation used to foment wars by the U.S. backed by its allies. What the U.S. is engaged in is aggression, what the Nuremberg Tribunal deemed, quote, the supreme international crime, unquote. Thus, it undermines the U.S. Constitution. It also creates a pretext for the U.S. to attempt an overthrow of governments it doesn't like, killing and displacing people, destroying infrastructure and economies, and leaving devastated lands to rebuild, often with treasuries and resources looted by the U.S. That comes from the article, How Empire Fabricates Atrocities, by Kim Peterson, posted June 8th. Amnesty International has denounced violations of, quote, the rights of refugees and migrants, unquote, in Chile. Quote, the authorities have resumed immediate expulsions of foreigners without assessing their need for international protection, unquote. AI even sent an open letter to Gabriel Boric expressing its, quote, grave concern about the situation of people in need of international protection at the border between Chile and Peru, unquote, denouncing the, quote, deployment of armed forces and the establishment of a state of emergency, unquote, measures contrary to, quote, Chile's international obligations, unquote. In view of all this, Gabriel Boric, 
does not have the moral authority to comment on the human rights situation in Venezuela. His statements are motivated more by political considerations and the desire to curry favor with certain sectors than by genuine concern for Venezuela's fate. That comes from the article, Chile's President Gabriel Boric, Venezuela and the Question of Human Rights, by Salem Lamrani, posted June 7th. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. For months now, Canadians have been informed by the major media to whom secret intelligence was leaked from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service that the Chinese government is interfering in elections. The Prime Minister selected David Johnston as special rapporteur on the matter, and he's calling only for public hearings, not a public inquest, as the opposition parties are demanding. The opposition says he is undermined by friendly relations with the Prime Minister. A sizable issue, but does it have teeth? Or is this situation a huge distraction from more pressing matters? Joining me for his take, we have with us one of our most premier commentators on Canadian foreign policy. He is Eve Angler. He's a Montreal-based activist and has authored now 12 books and has been described as a Canadian version of Noam Chomsky. I asked Eve to comment on whether the Chinese actually desire to influence our elections. No, I think it's um, the story is a um, at a macro political level, it's a way to act like China is the aggressor and uh, Canada and the US are uh, the victims. Uh, in this big geopolitical game that's uh, that's going on, I think that's the uh, the big picture way of looking at it, and it's the most important way. Um, did the Chinese government do Chinese officials uh, network with uh, Chinese Canadian groups and or other you know non Chinese Canadian groups that you know to advance their interests? Uh, you know, it'd be stunning to find out that they don't. Uh, do they gather intelligence? It would be stunning to find out they don't. Uh, that's what diplomats do uh, around the world, uh, including Canadian diplomats in China, of course. Um, the you know, there's many different elements to break down in terms of uh, the importance. I think, from a standpoint of Canadian democracy or Canadian elections, at the narrow level, uh, first past the post uh, electoral system that that leads to one winner, you know, even if you get 35% of the vote in a riding, you, you get the one seat um, that undermines uh, voter participation, uh, that undermines Canadian democracy far more than anything China's doing. Uh, at a more broader level, uh, capitalist domination of, of economic affairs uh, and how that undermines uh, genuine democracy is far more significant than what China's, anything China's done. Um, uh, corporate domination of the media and the, the think tanks and the academic world and the impact that has on undermining democracy. And then if you want to get into foreign interference, more specifically, I mean, U.S. interference in Canada is, you know, far, far more significant. And, and there's a good case to be made that this whole brouhaha about Chinese interference in Canada 
in fact, is a form of U.S. interference in Canada, specifically CSIS in their leaking to the Globe Mail and Global. Basically, CSIS is, you know, works hand in hand with the U.S. NSA and U.S. Uh, intelligence agencies. They know the U.S. empire is, you know, ramping up its campaign to contain China's rise. And just like they did during, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago during the, the, well, the Americans were fighting the war on terror and the Muslims were the boogeyman, the CSIS and, and they did all kinds of stuff to help their U.S. counterparts imprison Canadians and violate Canadian law, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, CSIS is doing the same thing today with regards to China on behalf of um, their U.S. counterparts. So you can make a good case that this is, uh, in fact, a form of U.S. interference, uh, the whole uh, Chinese uh, uh, mm. Well, uh, if you'll pardon the biblical reference, it seems wildly hypocritical, uh, you know, abroad, you know, if, uh, you know, the accusations against how China's uh, threatens democracy uh, is a speck in its eye when Canada has a massive log in its eye. As you know, certainly uh, Canada's involvement in the coup in Haiti in 2004 is, is more significant than anything. But, but China is being accused of attempt, more, more than anything, China is accused of, of attempting here. And, and we also attempted to side with uh, Juan Guaido to, to depose uh, Maduro uh, a few years ago. Can you detail you know, a few other examples of, of Canada's own record of, um, of standing up for democracy um, abroad? Well, Owen Schock and, and myself uh, have co-authored a book uh, where we detail uh, about two dozen instances where um, Canada has helped to overthrow democracy. And I, I don't, we don't mean um, you know, propping up like, you know, selling arms to the Saudi monarchy. We mean there is a elected government uh, or at minimum a legitimate government usually elected in place. And Canada works with the U.S. to destabilize and oust um, those elected officials. So there's a long, long history of that. And you don't even have to go back very far. I mean, just look at Canada's role uh, in December in backing the ouster of um Pedro Castillo, uh, the leftist president in uh, in Peru, and uh, and then shoring up the uh, the usurper uh, Dina Baluarte, uh, while they killed uh, you know sixty mostly indigenous uh, uh, protesters, um, you know you go back to Bolivia in 2019, ouster of Evo Morales, Canada's role in that. Obviously, you mentioned the you know the the preeminent example is Haiti in 2004, where you know every facet of the Canadian foreign policy apparatus from the from the uh, military to diplomacy to the aid to the, the NGOs you know we're all in, involved in this 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 crass uh, ouster of thousands of elected officials including the most popular politician in the history of Haiti um yeah so you know Canada the idea that um you know foreign interference i mean it's it's many many Haitian commentators in recent weeks and months have pointed out on Twitter, uh, you know, like, come talk to Haitians about foreign interference while you're talking, you're freaking out about Chinese interference. I mean, the core group, the core group uh, of foreign ambassadors in Haiti is like, what is that? But just open and crass uh, uh, US Canadian, primarily with French and a few other European Brazil uh, countries 
dictating Haitian affairs. I mean, that's that's the Jovenel, uh, uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, after Jovenel Moïse's uh, assassination, um, uh, Ariel Henry was uh, was basically appointed by this group of uh, foreign ambassadors um, through the core group. So, yeah, the question of foreign interference and Canada's ability to 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 have any sort of standing on 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 the matter is 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 uh, is obviously comical. Obviously, Venezuela, another example where we literally we coordinated with the opposition uh, inside and outside the country uh, to declare this, you know fairly marginal opposition politician, the legitimate president. And, and we, we went around with this farce for more than uh, three years. Uh, there's not, you know, not even in the vicinity of anything like that uh, being accused, let alone proven of, of the Chinese government uh, uh, in Canada. So, so yeah, I think that the Chinese government, I mean, I think that, you know, if you look at, again, you know, I think U.S. interference, you know, one of the things that, that has to be mentioned in all this is foreign interference. Okay. So like really concrete, I mean, the U.S. interference in Canada, you know, is multifaceted, uh, and most of it happens, I think, at kind of a, a generalized level of cultural, political, economic uh, influence. But it also happens at a very concrete level. So, for instance, the whole like Uyghur, the voting of the Uyghur resolution back in uh, February of uh, 2021, where the uh, House of Commons um, uh, condemned it as a, as a genocide. Well, the force driving that was the Uyghur uh, Advocacy Project. Um, uh, that group said openly on its website that it was funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, which, as the founder of the NED said, they do what the CIA used to do covertly. They do it openly what the CIA, CIA used to do covertly. So it's an arm of the U.S. government. Uh, they're funded to lobby Canada's parliament. They were set up by uh, the American Uyghur Advocacy Project. Uh, they which also was was funded by the NED. Uh, if you look at you know like the McDonald Laurie Institute's disinformation uh, 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 network, uh, Marcus Kolga, and they're you know supposedly pushing back against um, disinformation Canada. It's funded by the U.S. Embassy and the State Department. They're open about that, and so a whole bunch of these groups that are you know designed to um, to stoke tension with China, uh, they're you know, directly funded by the U.S. government in, in what has to be understood. If it was the Chinese government doing it, everyone would understand it as a crass form of foreign interference in, in, in Canadian affairs. But, but uh, you know, the, the, the Global Mail can publish literally dozens of stories, quoting uh, Tati, the, the head of the Uyghur Advocacy Project, and um, and many of them where he talks about foreign inter Chinese interference and never once mentioned that his group is funded by the U.S. Uh, U.S. Uh, government. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I noticed. I mean, that's that's a good point. But I mean, I think there's another. I, I read an article of yours uh, once that uh, talked about Israel as I mean, in terms of their ability to to influence the electoral situation. Uh, that that they're much more influential than even the Chinese. And yet, uh, judging by the players involved in this uh, this whole Chinese uh, Chinagate situation, uh, you, you think it's just completely acceptable. Uh, you know, you may just elaborate on that aspect. Well, they, I mean, the Israeli government, uh, three weeks ago, uh, they organized this big conference in Ottawa where they brought together um, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs was co-sponsored it, but they also had B'nai B'rith, uh, Honest Reporting Canada, uh, a whole bunch of the, the the lobby groups, Israel lobby groups in Canada, 
and uh, basically had a big conference to do that. You know, how do we mobilize our domestic lobby in Canada to advance our interests? Uh, I mean, if if the, Bob Fife, Bob Fife, the Globe Mail reporter, was all about foreign interference, he moderated one of the panels, right? Uh, uh, you know, this is not, it's not viewed as, as foreign interference when it's Israel doing it. Cause we're, it's just, you know, it's quote unquote shared values or it's, uh, right. So, you know, um, the main, the top donor for, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, back to 2013, when Trudeau uh, became leader of the party, uh, uh, Stephen Bronfman, he boasted back then about, uh, you know, how he brought, Trudeau to Israel and how, you know, sort of the, the, uh, according to this Globe Mail story, the Jewish community, uh, the pro-Israel sectors of the Jewish community had, had, had gone um, uh, behind Harper because they were so happy with his, you know, staunch uh, anti-Palestinian positions. And Bronfman's quoted in this Globe Mail article saying how we're basically, you know, we're going to sort of win over uh, the, you know, the pro-Israel Jewish community to, to Trudeau and Trudeau's actually been to Israel at that point. Harper had never been to Israel and he was boasting about how he brought uh, uh, Trudeau to Israel. Uh, you know, is that a form of foreign interference uh, where they're like, where the, you know, directly coordinating with the uh, uh, Israeli embassy um, and, and literally tying fundraising dollars, openly in this Globe Mail article, openly tying uh, uh, fundraising dollars to uh, a, uh, you know, an anti-Palestinian, a more anti-Palestinian position. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that the the influence of Israel within Canada is 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 uh, is un, basically unmentionable, uh, yet far more uh, significant than uh, than Chinese influence. Now uh, we got a situation where, where the government's supporting David Johnston and uh, his uh, whole approach, but all of the opposition parties, all of them, are are calling for him to be. Uh, to, to, to resign and to, to, to who will call a, a public inquiry. And I, I'll point as well that Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, who the Liberals currently have an arrangement with, you know, to stay in power uh, so they won't be, you know, distracted by the, the constant call for, you know, an election at any moment. Uh, but he, he said that, uh, that, 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 that David Johnston should, uh, you know, he's, there's too many, uh, you know, after reading his report that there's too many, um, uh, you know, too, too, too many, uh, too much distrust is what he's saying. Yeah. 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 You can't trust him. He's, he's too, uh, biased in other words, but he's not going to bring him down because, uh, well, that, that would, uh, you know, we, we can't trust the situation, which is a little bizarre. It seems to me because, you know, until we call a new inquest, because then, well, what does that do in terms of, uh, you know, championing is, uh, key concerns about healthcare and, uh, uh, and, and other things like that. But, but I, I want to get your take on, uh, you know, even though the decent, there are decent concerns of the public and the opposition with regard to issues around the economy or, or the, the Ukraine situation, housing, climate change, and so on. Um, how do you make sense of these moves by all of the opposition parties? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the way you have to make sense of it is that this is this is the U.S. empire pushing towards conflict. It just has to be brought back to a geopolitical level. Now, within that, of course, there are some very partisan games going on, uh, and that's part of why the conservatives are you know pushing this so hard. They see this as a way 
to you know go at Trudeau because of comments that Trudeau made about uh, about you know sort of viewed as pro-China comments in the past, and they you know they they can kind of uh, label him a stooge of China and stuff like that. And the, the NDP's got themselves kind of caught in this odd position because there's actually a poll that showed that uh, despite the NDP asking for this uh, uh, public inquiry on Chinese interference going back uh, for months, poll uh, on May 26 was published, said that it's actually 39% of NDP supporters uh, don't want an inquiry and 37% do. So uh, the conservative voters is like 10 to one. They want, they want an inquiry. And then the liberal voters are like two to one against having an inquiry. Um, so, so despite the party actually calling for this, NDP members seem quite ambivalent about the whole thing, and correctly so. Um, uh, and so, um, because because what what Johnson did is not just that he didn't he's not calling the public inquiry. What he did, much I think more significant, is he basically said that all these leaks, uh, they're when you look at what the they're based upon, it's it's bogus, right? He he, he poured a whole lot of co cold water on this whole idea of of Chinese, and he expli explicitly named multiple of these these claims that reported at the two hundred fifty thousand dollars that the Chinese had apparently given to eleven candidates. No evidence, no substantiation of that. The Han Dong trying to keep uh, the two Michaels in jail. No substantiation in that. Um, the whole business about the intimidation of Michael Chong's family. They said they, they said that there's evidence that the Chinese looked into information on Michael Chong and Michael Chong's family. Of course they do. You know, I I I found I've had documents of myself from Global Affairs, or back when it was called Foreign Affairs Canada, where I was speaking in Ottawa, and and um, a person got the access to information where they told other departments about how I was speaking on this event. Um, you know, and this is so obviously government officials and diplomats, they're like keeping track on other politicians of different countries. Of course, they're doing that. Uh, intimidation. Now, that's a that's another that's a different different step. Um, but so he Johnson poured cold water on on the the underlying claims, which completely freaked out the Globe Mail and global reporters. Um, but um, but so the NDP is is basically they've joined this whole foreign interference thing. But but much more damaging is they've joined the whole the whole target China thing. I mean, the NDP is uh, Heather McPherson is part of a parliamentary group that's funded by the NED uh, and the Soros uh, Foundation and the Taiwan uh, government uh, focused on China. That's a basically an anti-China global parliamentary group. Uh, the NDP supported, explicitly supported the Indo-Pacific strategy that the, the Liberals announced back in uh, November that that uh, uh, increases, the main, main thing it does is increases Canadian naval vessels running provocative maneuvers, went from one up to three, and increases half a billion dollars in more military and intelligence uh, 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 support for uh, operations in the region, uh, more Canadian spying uh, uh, planes in the region, and the NDP put out a press release saying they support this 
unequivocally, totally, uh, total support. Um, and and uh, McPherson went to Taiwan, uh, what was that, six weeks ago or something like that, as part of this, you know, ch- undermining the, the the one China policy, chipping away at it. Um, so the NDP has completely backed the this aggressive uh, 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 anti anti China uh, push coming mostly from Washington. The Conservatives, of course, are the the main. Uh, stokers of that, and 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 if you look at their policy during the last election, they were you know very aggressive in their anti-China rhetoric, and and quite frankly, um, unlike on you know most foreign policy issues where I really don't have not much to say that's good about the Liberal Party, I would say that on on China, uh, you know they've conceded way too much to the anti-China uh, move, but they are actually uh, they are more of uh, they are resisting the whole political push. Uh, that's uh, that's coming hard, and the NDP is you know part of that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that the China interference and the whole Daniel Johnson or David Johnson stuff is uh, is just a um, uh, one piece of a broader uh, NDP alignment with empire in general, U.S. empire in general, be that from from Ukraine, the NATO proxy war to Iran. Uh, and uh, and more specifically, uh, vis-a-vis uh, uh, targeting China. Well, Ever, I'm afraid we're out of time now, but I would like to thank you for sharing your analysis of this uh, situation with our listeners. It's much appreciated. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, Eve Engler is a writer and researcher uh, based in Montreal. Uh, you can read frequent articles by him on Canadian foreign affairs and and listen to weekly commentaries by him on the site. EveEngler.com. That's Y V E S E N G L E R.com. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. I noticed recently that uh, the Canada Files published uh, an essay uh, about CSIS and some of the reasons we should be concerned about uh, how you know this this uh, single source that's basically the, uh, the the source of all of these things may have elevated this from a a mountain to basically made a, a mountain of this molehill. So I'm I've got the interview with me, the interviewer with me right now. His name is Aiden Johnston. Aiden Jonah. Jonah. Yeah. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief of the Canada Files. Thank you for joining us, uh, Aidan jo- Jonah. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the interview. So um, in your article, uh, you directly question CSIS's role and, and base it on it, its actual record. Uh, maybe you could go over some of the issues that you think every Canadian should be aware of with regard to CSIS's actual record. Right, so oh, don't worry, I won't go for 20 minutes, but uh, CSIS, I mean, it's, it was even born out of controversy, of course. It replaced the RCMP Security Service in 1984 because those abuses were so bad. You had, even had Canadian Parliament uh, creating a committee. And then one year in, right, you have the Air India bombing, 1985. CSIS knew the plot beforehand, and one of the suspects was actually a CSIS agent. The guy's name was Surjan Singh Gill. And you had three quarter, uh, two, about three quarters of the wiretaps that were recorded before and after that bombing, right? Those were uh, destroyed. Those were the destroyed, as clear as day. 
cover up. You got CSIS funding uh, this guy, Grant Barstow. He was a undercover agent who was originally in the, I believe it was the Nationalist Party of Canada for Right Organization. Then it, uh, he and some others funded the Heritage Front, which is an overt fascist organization. And then you had CSIS spying on postal workers throughout the 1990s. You had a joint CSIS-RCMP, supposedly counter-espionage report, that essentially claimed that Chinese Canadians were being used by the Chinese government to influence Canadian polit- uh, politics. They slandered Chinese Canadians and connected the Chinese government to the drug trade in Canada without proof ever being released to the general public. And you actually had the CSIS director at the time uh, push the report down because even he didn't believe it was properly founded, which I think speaks something really strong, given the uh, hatred of China that's emanated from CSIS. Uh, and I think one of the, the big kickers, right, and this is something I didn't realize, and I'll give credit to David Bush of uh, Spring Magazine, actually, who caught my eye about this. It was a CBC article, right? And they admitted that CSIS fed uh, the Canadian government false intelligence about capabilities and motives of the Iraqi government and falsely claimed that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and of his supposed desires to acquire nuclear weapons. And this was really all about trying to pressure the Canadian government to join the invasion. So uh, basically, uh, yeah, so it wasn't just the United States and Great Britain that were uh, inventing these stories about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Canada joined in as well. Oh, certainly, CSIS. And uh, it was against the elected Canadian government as much as Cretin is no hero but they were still working against the elected government of this country. Wow. Yeah, well, you talk a little bit more about the, the record of nastiness toward China, you know, and, and maybe some of the other things that have been brought forward to, uh, you know, to, to discredit them in the eyes of, of the public. Sure. So things kind of popped back into life uh, in 2010. You had the then head of CSIS, Richard Fadden, he actually smeared Chinese can politicians, including cabinet ministers and elected municipal officials in BCS, supposedly being under the influence of a foreign government, i.e. China. Now, a name that also has gotten targeted twice um, is uh, Michael Chan in 2010, um, who was then a cabinet uh, minister, Ontario Liberal MPP. Of course, he got targeted again in this current China gate. And so with this whole 2010 edition, uh, no evidence is brought up. Fadden actually refused to apologize, even though there was a uproar about it. And, you know, this, this hysteria was pushed down. It was prevented from spreading en masse. But Fadden wasn't removed as cease instructor, right? So there's no, there's no consequences uh, for that. And I think that, that, that bore out as things went further, because he had a 2013 CSIS uh, report that claimed Confucius Institutes. Now, these are just educational institutes focusing really on the Chinese language, some Chinese culture that they were supposedly spreading propaganda and were uniquely dangerous, you know, compared to, let's say, British Council or Germany's Goethe Institute. Uh, you know, it's a imperialist, you know, talk is great, but, you know, Chinese culture and language is scary bad. It's, it's hysteria, right? Um, and it, it gets worse because around this time, you start to see some of the uh, politically motiva- motivated prosecutions um, Ching uh, Kuntin Huang, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. This guy was a former naval engineer and subcontractor to a cane frigate program. Uh, he got charged by uh, 2013, right? 
Supposedly, he trades, uh, stole trade secrets for China. In reality, uh, CSIS actually refuses to close evidence against him all the way in 2021. This guy spent eight years of in hell, really, in his, in his life. And, you know, no, barely anybody came to his, uh, his defense. He also had CSIS agents actually visiting a director of a Confucius Institute in Quebec in 2014, soon after this institute was founded. And agents, according to CBC, only left her alone after she threatened to file a human rights complaint. Uh, and so this was around the time Confucius Institute of Canada, obviously starting with that CSIS quote-unquote intelligence report in 2013. Uh, now, coming to the present day, CIs in Canada, they're a thing of the past. They're a victim of the Sinophobe paranoia that's really gripped Canadian society tighter and tighter over the years, turning into this chokehold that we have now with China Gate. Yeah. Now, there, there are uh, a number of groups uh, from from China that, that are raising concerns uh, among the general public. I mean, not, not just the politicians, but you had, like, well, recently the, the Uyghurs, uh, the, the Tibetans, um, the Hong Kong democracy fighters, and the uh, Falun Gong. I mean, uh, these BP, these have the... Uh, there's sympathy for these voices uh, within the uh, the wider public. Uh, and maybe, maybe we could just talk a, a little bit about uh, concerns you might have about these particular groups. Sure. I, I have very, very strong concerns, to put it lightly. Uh, let me start with the Uyghurs first and foremost, because they're probably the biggest prominent one. So first group I really want to focus on there is Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project, right? They've relied on National Endowment for Democracy. That is a CIA cutout uh, funding since they were created in 2020. You had Mehmet Todi, their leader, being a founding member and two-time vice president of the NED-funded World Uyghur Congress. And he's actually still involved to this day in that organization, right? So you already have a U.S. connection there. Um, you know, with, with the diasporas, I should mention, of course, that, you know, uh, especially ones with that there's adjacency or connections to the U.S., that should be skeptical as well. But also that, you know, the people that come here, you know, that are leaving uh, China, which is very much a socialist country, are inherently going to be the ones that don't like it, right? So there's a danger of exclusively taking the word of diasporas here as the absolute truth, right? There has to be critical analysis. But anyways, getting back to Europe, right? They drove that Xinjiang genocide vote, which was really an important step in the process of demonizing China. That that vote was a whole mess. You know, there, there isn't a, a genocide in Xinjiang. It's a hysterical campaign that even, you know, U.S. State Department won't legally declare it a genocide. Um, and this is where things get deeper here is um, I filed for CSIS files um, on NED activity uh, between 2020 and 2022, right? Yeah, CSIS yeah. actually refused to release them on national security grounds, which makes me think that CSIS knew full well of Europe's subversion of Canadian politics and of its NED, NED funding, gave it no trouble because it was useful to their anti-China agenda. And just to go a little deeper, David Vigneault, the CSIS director in 2018, began to focus CSIS on the supposed China threat to Canada. So my view is that one of the government itself or CSIS, and I think it's CSIS, knew that driving anti-China lies would create resentment among a strong segment of Chinese Canadians, making it critical for CSIS that anti-China groups were able to do groundwork to prime Canadians to hate China, URAP being a prime example. And this is where it comes into... Um, some groups that have that adjacency or connections and some groups that are, well, I'll use a word a little more fit for radio, useful fools. And speaking of the useful fools, I'll jump on over to Hong Kong folks. 
because they don't actually have, from what I can tell, they don't have connections or adjacency to the NED, at least the ones in Canada, from what I can tell so far. Uh, but they do have a long history of crying wolf and crime int intimidation. The trend, of course, they don't have evidence for their claims. They don't have any proof that even if they were asked, it was actually by the Chinese government, right? There's no critical thought that it could be an angry Chinese Canadian. They're incapable of that critical thinking. Hmm. But the MSM in Canada just laps it up, right? And this, you know, these false claims really also helped uh, set the table. They weren't, you know, the driving point, but at the same time, it was one factor. And jump, yeah. Just to just for a second, I mean, you're saying there's, I mean, with all of the the photo and and video uh, evidence of. Uh, uh, well, repression on the part of the Chinese government? I mean, is it that truly without base? Uh, I would say very much it's it's not, uh, you know, in terms of like, let's say Xinjiang or uh, Hong Kong, there, there's there's no, you know, genocide. If you look at, for example, Hong Kong, um, when you had the, the riots there, you know, there, there were zero protesters um, killed, right? Mm -hmm. And you had the protesters setting people on fire. Um, so it's a whole different um, world, a whole different game than um, is portrayed in our media, right? Um, they have so much incentive to demonize China and make it uh, to be the, the most evil force in the world because it's a critical economic threat and uh, a critical threat in terms of what a society could be versus what we have here. Yeah. What about uh, Falun Gong? That's... Uh... Yeah, Falun Gong is an outright, you know, cult. They're really uh, anti-science. Uh, you know, a lot of their people got sick in China, which was a major reason for why they actually got banned in the late 90s was because there was a severe health risk um, to the people involved. And there was a price paid by some of the people involved there. And then they, of course, they flee to, um, they flee to the West and they set up uh, organizations like uh, Epoch Times. Which I'm sure you're aware of how aggressively they are extremely right wing and just generally, let's be real here, nutcases. Uh, and they, like I said, they're directly a Falun Gong entity. So Falun Gong's influence in the West has been nothing but, you know, toxic, uh, to be quite frank. Um, they actually had a role. There was one of the institutes, I think it was in Toronto, the Confucius Institute, that uh, it was one of these Falun Gong practitioners that had a major role in getting that shut down. So no, Falun Gong has had a very bad role um, in the West. Well, in terms of uh, like, you know, covering the Chinese legislation, I mean, I know that, you know, when it comes to Ukraine, I mean, the people who came over like a, a century ago, uh, they, they tended to be slagged by the, by the politicians because they're too, you know, approximately close to the Russians. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a, 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 an admiration of the Ukrainians until uh the, the 1930s and 40s when you had a whole bunch of these uh anti-russian uh ucc types that 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 would be useful in in targeting I me mean, i did a whole show on this recently and I, i'm wondering if there isn't a similar situation where the uh you know i guess you could call them the pro-china groups are uh, maybe even people that you've in interviewed yourself uh they are uh, kind of uh, marginalized compared to these sorts of groups? Is that something you can uh, speak to? What I'd say on that front is, as I said before, in terms of with China being a socialist nation, you're going to have the people that are satisfied there most likely sticking around. And the second element of things, too, is, um, like I mentioned, the, 
the Hong Kong types, um, right? You had, I think it was more than 300,000 between 1984 when the handover of uh, Hong Kong back to China was coming along uh, to 1987. You had, like I said, that 300,000 people coming to Canada, which was a massive influx. Um, but could I ever say that, say, like the diaspora here was impacted in a similar way that, you know, the Ukrainian was one was, for example, post-World War II? I don't know if I could draw parallels there. Right. But I think certainly the amount of anti-China folks that came in um, obviously had an impact. Mm. There was uh, a lot of attention to uh, the whole issue of uh, Meng Wanzhou, who was uh, you know, a, a, a Chinese uh, executive, in fact, a celebrity. Uh, and uh, after that, the uh, you know that, that's where the Chinese government were uh, irritated, to put it uh, mildly. But uh, even going before that, there was uh, th- there was a meeting of the the, the intelligence agencies, uh, the Five Eyes, actually, and they uh, they, they had decided at that point to uh, you know, to rev up this uh, this hysteria against uh, against China and uh, I know that uh, it, it took place in in Nova Scotia at some point yeah but they, they were in, uh, in in Canada at that point uh, are, are you able to, to see maybe a, a a bit of a connection between what what CSIS is doing now and uh, these sorts of meetings that seems to be bringing all of these groups together in a, in a kind of, a, you know, solidarity of animosity toward China. I mean, I think I could very much, you know, see a link. Obviously, Canada's representative to the Five Eyes is the Communication Security Establishment. So that's CSEC is the acronym. So it's not like CSIS is directly involved in that. But at the same time, you know, CSIS and CSEC are, are quite close. So I would say there absolutely is a, is a link. Um, you know, a lot of you know, the intelligence in this country, even military, you know, we're so, so deeply linked to the United States. We're basically uh, like they're puppets at the end of the day, right? Uh, what the U.S. says, what the U.S. wants goes. In case you just joined us, uh, this is uh, Michael Welch for the Global Research News Hour. We're speaking with Aiden Jonah, who is uh, editor-in-chief of the Can- Canada Files, uh, which has been putting out some uh, really remarkable work on uh, that that's isn't really noticed uh, very much uh, outside of you know people who, who are well, like me who are wanting to dig deep and uh, so for, I I, I want to see if I can like, like with regard to the uh, the thesis. Um, I noticed that there were a couple of key people who were bringing forth this information uh, from the media, um, uh, Robert Fife and, and Stephen Chase. Uh, I, I just happened to be looking through Wikipedia, and, and I found out that, uh, well, I'll, I'll even read it here. It's you know, go, Looking at Robert Fife, it said, in 2002, while at Can West, Fife published multiple stories incorrectly incorrectly portraying Maher Arar as definitively associated with Al-Qaeda based on leaked information from unnamed national security sources. In September 2006, the Commission of Inquiry into the Actions of Canadian Officials 
in relation to Meher Arar, led by Justice Dennis O'Connor, found that Arar was innocent, that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police intelligence had been worthless, and that the RCMP had coordinated a smear campaign by leaking false information to the press to keep Arar imprisoned and avoid a public inquiry into its actions. So I, I read that and I figured, okay, it's based on uh, intelligence, which, which turned out to be wrong. And I'm wondering, I mean, could this situation be a replay of an old situation? I mean, I, I noticed that Robert Fife is not exactly, has a history of uh, you know, asking tough questions to CSIS. And in fact, might even be uh, helping them out in, in, in certain ways. But uh, I, I'm wondering if you could t- you know, talk a little bit about uh, how this guy, I mean, not like Seymour Hirsch, who is, you know, he's run tons of stories for 50 years. He's, he, he had his anonymous sources, but in his case, he was always accurate and, and correct. Uh, this guy has, at least on one occasion, been ho- horribly wrong. So, you know, elaborate on that if you could. What, what, where, what, where you pin Robert Fife uh, in with uh, the whole canopy of, of uh, information and, and disinformation? Uh, I would say, look, um, in terms of this uh, Tanagate and Fife, um, to me, not looking at the case of Arara is not the case to look at in terms of parallel. Um, rather, I, I prefer to look at a connection that's a lot more recent. That is, there was this uh, January 2022 article uh, talking about, you know, the CSIS information campaign operation uh, briefing uh, members of parliament about the supposed dangers of, you know, Russian, Chinese, Iranian foreign interference, right? Mainly, mainly China was the, was the focus. And why I covered this was because when I felt the first of May tips around that program, I found a few emails between uh, Robert Fife and CSIS, where Fife was outright volunteering to spread the information campaign. They said that he said, you know, that he had heard about this campaign that CSIS was doing, asking them for an interview. There's no ounce of criti- critical, you know, uh, thinking, questioning, right? And then as this proceeded a few days later, you had like an internal, it was somebody redacted within CSIS was saying, you know, this article looks like, essentially paraphrasing, it looked like great news for us. Uh, this article, right? Uh, ended up just being a CSIS press release. It was just glorified CSIS press release. And it actually promoted multiple voices that were pushing a foreign influence registry act and zero voices, which would reject the campaign or be critical at all. This, this was a CSIS press release, right? And I think that's the, you know, we can talk about other cases, but look, the most direct one is the case leading up to China gate, right? They, Fife was already an absolute CSIS lapdog. And of course, Stephen Chase, I don't think, was involved in the email communications in the same way, but you know, Chase went along with it. Uh, so I think that's the biggest uh, connection there anyways, right? Uh, because you know, you have this come along, right? With Fife uh, being loyal to CSIS. And then you have the breaking of, uh, of Chattagate, which you know, began in February of this year. And, you know, CSIS got a huge victory in this, and wouldn't you know it, it was because of Fife. The general public was misled to think that the you know, leaker, quote-unquote, uh, was actually genuinely, genuinely leaker, when in reality, in my view, uh, they were a CSIS agent 
uh, speaking to the the golden male, uh, because there's this idea I think Jesus wants so that it can appear like it's a passenger in China Gate instead of being its main driver. Uh, proof of this to me, anyways, is Cesus's refusal to disclose communications between itself and Global Mail's Robert Fife and Stephen Chase. Because the interesting thing is, as I said earlier, the only reason why I got that information about those emails was because I actually didn't focus on that. It came to me by accident. The second I started targeting that directly, they started claiming national security grounds and wouldn't release anything. So supposedly, if this is a leaker, why is Cesus afraid of these connections, right? If they, if there's supposedly genuine national security information, couldn't they just uh, redact some of that key parts, right? They could engage with some of it, but they don't because they're hiding something, and they're hiding that there's a CSIS agent. And those sources that are coming out and making the story, you know, Sam Cooper, etc., these are CSIS agents. These aren't these aren't you know genuine leakers. Wow. So, yeah, I'm. I, I'm, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan or not, but uh, this reminds me of an episode of The Next Generation called The Drumhead, in which uh, the, uh, the, there's a, 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 a Klingon spy had been caught on the Enterprise, and then they, they, they got hold of him. But they, uh, they brought in a, a big uh, Nora Saiti, who is a distinguished person to you know, get to the bottom of a, of a major possible conspiracy. And basically they, they made up a whole thing about this one guy who happened to have a, you know, Romulan blood actually being a, you know, a, the heart of a major conspiracy. And, and, you know, you know, Picard think this is getting out of hand and they started going after him. And so I, I'm wondering, you know, is this, this is a situation where we're, you know, people get scared and they they can be misled, and and CSIS in this case is is leading the way with this. You know, it is you know I, I'm wondering how you how we can detach ourselves from that that uh, whole situation. How how we can detach ourselves and 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 see things the way well the way you're starting to see it and and the the way. Uh, you know, the rest of us can can see it because otherwise this is just going to rattle on and on. And it's it's very disruptive to our politics and, you know, our, our whole you know, way of life, not just foreign policy, but uh, everything else. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one important thing to understand and to get your mind out of that is to understand the sheer scale of victory that CSIS has obtained. Because I was talking about this inf- information operation right, that's been going on since September 2021. Uh, and CSIS has gotten what it wanted, and it gets to play the incompetent fool for its own benefit. Uh, you now have CSIS being ordered by the government to give uh, constant briefings to MPs about any threat, whether it's you know truly verified, if there's really any even minor basis to give it. Most of the time, obviously, this is crap, right? But it's just every single you know, thing they want to brief MPs about, they can do that. They're being ordered to brief, you know, the Minister of Public Safety. And you have MPs like Aaron O'Toole now um, just taking what CSIS is telling him in briefings, right? And talking about that on the Parliament floor, because essentially what the Parliament floor, you have the kind of a parliamentary privilege where, you know, you can't get sued for what you're saying, right? And so... That's important because people have to understand outright that we are living in a government by CSIS. Parliamentarians, mainstream media are all in the palm of CSIS's hand. 
And for what we require to get out of this really is, first of all, like I said, to understand the sheer scale of what CSIS is one. And secondly, to realize that, you know, at its core, CSIS is a, and has always been an enemy of the, uh, the people in this country. It's been working to subjugate and to keep the people down and to protect uh, the political elite in this country. So it's important for people to build a mass skepticism of what CSIS um, will say, demand, you know, the proof publicly to fight back against it. And most importantly, you know, to combat the combat the demonization of China. And other than that, it's a hell of a, it's a, hell of a challenge, right? Because we have a parliament that's entirely shut out. There are absolutely no voices, you know, NDP, Green, Bloc, uh, Liberals, Conservatives. Everybody is on board with this. That's when I wanted to emphasize the point of how much victory they've obtained. Um, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a, you know, getting broader into it, you know, we're in a state that, you know, uh, you know, first it was, you know, you know, the British now, you know, when we came along, the Americans basically puppeteered us. Obviously we've done our own crimes. I'm not taking away from that. And I'm very much non-nationalist, but, you know, we've effectively seen uh, a state that, uh, you know, is fundamentally incapable of, you know, its people being allowed to determine the destiny of, uh, of their actions and of their lives. And of course, a state incapable of not perpetrating genocide against indigenous nations. Uh, so I think more than anything, it's education at this point. And frankly, there has to be a re-strategization, right? Strategy has to be rebuilt. It has to be changed. And people have to be prepared to organize on the street uh, and be prepared for the consequences that come with that. You know, I think there's been a shock with CSIS and people thinking that, you know, CSIS is supposed to be acting fair. You know, CSIS, these intelligence agencies, uh, you know, the, this, the portal government we're in, uh, that we're dealing with, it's always going to be pushing and slamming down on the people, right? So we have to, all I can say is mainly adapt strategy and, of course, you know, support the media that's challenging us. Okay. Aiden, Jonah, it's uh, been a real treat having you on. I really appreciate uh, having this conversation with you. Uh, good luck on your uh, future uh, publications and uh, look forward to maybe speaking to you again in the future. Thank you very much. For sure. And of course, I appreciate you know your radio show. I've listened to episodes before and I'm sure I'll continue to. Okay. So thank Aiden you Jonah. Thank you. Aiden Jonah is the editor-in-chief of The Canada Files. That's our show. Next week, we will be exploring the phenomenon of artificial intelligence as threatens our labor, our private lives, and possibly even our existence. Join us in seven days. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us. Thank you.